We are in the book of Revelation together, of course, and our Ventura campus will be joining us for this sermon. Let's let them know that we love them so much. Give them a lot of love. And we're in Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19. Gee whiz, you guys covered two chapters last week, two massive chapters. I leave town for one week and you almost finished the whole book. Good job. You did uh, 17 and 18 with young Bo last week. You did a good job, huh? I watched that sermon. Yeah, Bo. And uh, those are tough chapters. I'm really thankful that he did those. I strategically left town during those and left them to him. Just kidding. I'm not that smart. Could not have planned that far in advance. We're in chapter 19. Uh, The title of Bo's message last week was Come Out. The title of my message this week is Come In. Last week, God was calling his people to come out of Babylon, that wicked world system that seeks to seduce and persecute Christians. And now we see in chapter 19 an invitation to come in. We're not only called out of Babylon, we are called into intimacy with Jesus Christ. And we see that in our text today. We're just going to cover 10 verses of chapter 19. It's a big chapter. It's an important chapter. We'll see the glorious return of Christ next week. So we're just going to cover the first 10 verses of chapter 19. We'll begin to read together in verse 1. John writes and says, After these things, I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupt in the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and it's the sound of many waters, and it's the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, the angel. And he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you as we always do for your word this morning. It is so good to step into a world of truth as we step into your word. 
It is so good to hear truth, to think on truth, to speak truth, to listen to truth, to let truth penetrate our hearts and our minds. We're aware that we live in the culture of Babylon, culture of enticement and seduction and lies and corruption and lust and greed and malice and all these things that we talked about last week, but you're inviting us into a more wonderful thing, union with you. You are filling our hearts and minds with truth of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that this morning. We ask as we look at the truth of your word that you give us understanding by the Holy Spirit who's a teacher of all truth and leads us into all truth. We ask together that you give us ears to hear and that you please help me to communicate in a way that's faithful and helpful and that we would please God, obey your word, live according to it, commit ourselves to the truth of it and follow faithfully after Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit with every fiber of our being. Work these things in us for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, a wonderful passage of scripture as we have here. And uh, by way of introduction, has anybody here ever read War and Peace, Tolstoy's book? <laughs> Lynn Harm. Anybody else? Oh, of course, Helen Ernst has. Oh, Taylor, you have kind of cliff notes. That was a cliff note that I raised. <laughs> well, three, all ladies in this church who have read War and Peace, nobody reads it except for you guys. It's a huge book. Nobody. Of course you have, brother. Yes, that makes sense. I have not read the book, War and Peace. I'll be honest, I look at the size of it. I'm intimidated by it, nor do I enjoy reading fiction. But uh, I mostly read commentaries. Here's a Bible commentary. Nothing against fiction. I think it's fiction. Isn't it fiction? Just kidding. I know it's fiction. War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. So uh, there's a great introduction, sort of a, a vignette that arises from the book. And because I never read the book, I'm not going to act as though I had and say, remember these characters in the book? I'm just going to read from a guy who has read the book what he has to say by way of introduction. This is a commentary on the book of Revelation by a guy named James Hamilton. It's been helpful to us in this study. Listen to what he says. This will help us think about this text. One of the most charming characters in all of the world's literature is a young lady in Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. Everyone who sees her falls in love with her. Natasha Rostov, I I don't know how to pronounce the names, who cares, (laughs) is the lovely girl's name. And she's eventually betrothed to the noble and upright Prince Andrei Bolkonsky. Because she is young, the marriage is delayed for one year. Natasha is a character who wins the heart of every reader, and readers of War and Peace want joy and happiness for her. Finally, Andre returns to claim his bride. Natasha has waited faithfully for the whole year, but on the last night, she is wooed by a worthless rake named Anatoly, who is already married. As I read the story, I wanted to warn her. I wanted to shout to her to wait for Andre. Anatoly is a charmer, but it is clear that he will ruin her life. But Natasha is completely swept away. She agrees to elope with Anatoly, but at the last minute, she is rescued from certain destruction. However, Prince Andre cannot forgive her, and they never marry. 
The author goes on to say this in relation to our text. We are all like Natasha, easily dissuaded from what is best for us. Hear that phrase. That resonated with me. We are all like Natasha, easily dissuaded from what is best for us. And we need to be convinced that the one who is coming for us is worth the wait so that we won't give in to the seducers who would ruin our lives. That makes sense, doesn't it? And that's exactly what the book of Revelation at this juncture is endeavoring to do for us. It is reminding us, the church, God's people, that we are the bride of Christ, that we are the betrothed bride of Christ, waiting for our ultimate union with him. And the text is calling us in difficult days, in trying circumstances, in the face of opposition, the text is calling us to be the bride. And this imagery of the bride is placed in juxtaposition to the imagery of the whore. Powerful word, I know. When the book of Revelation is calling the church to be the bride and not be like the whore that we learned of last week. The mother of harlots, Babylon, who's always seducing humanity and particularly in the book of Revelation, seducing the church, endeavoring to seduce God's people to whoring themselves. Now the idea of that in scripture is committing adultery, being unfaithful to God is the idea of whoring, harlotry in the spiritual sense. We belong to God. We are his. To be unfaithful to him, to engage in idolatry and immorality, to to relegate him to lesser places in our lives. And the Old Testament is often spoken of as whoring, harlotry, prostituting ourselves. God was always saying to Israel, why are you prostituting yourselves with the false gods of the Canaanites? I'm calling you to myself. That's what the book of Revelation is doing calling us to be the bride and not be like the whore, endeavoring to seduce us to idolatry and immorality with the things of the world. And the wonderful declaration of the book of Revelation for the church is that we are not harlots. We are the precious blood-bought bride of Jesus. And we, as we saw in the text, are clothed in righteousness that has been given to us by God. White linens, fine and clean. Babylon, as we learned of last week, is the seductress who through the means of the world, as Bo talked about last week, is always endeavoring to seduce us by promising us happiness, power, glory, and peace through other means. But the book reveals to us that she's a lie. But she's destructive in her goal, in her means. And so she's judged in the book, is what we saw last week. And what this means is that God saves his people by judging the mother of harlots, Babylon. He saves us by judging, destroying ultimately, the one who was endeavoring to seduce us and who was warring against us. This world system, Babylon. 
And because of that, when Babylon is destroyed, God's people are called to rejoice. Do you remember that from chapter 18? Toward the end, look at verse 20 of chapter 18. You covered this last week. We're told that the destruction of Babylon in verse 20 of chapter 18, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Rejoice that the seductress has been revealed, that her destructive ways have been uncovered and exposed, and that we have been delivered from the one that was looking to seduce and who has been warring against. Rejoice, we're told. And so then chapter 19 is the obedience of that command to rejoice, right? Verse one, after these things, the destruction of Babylon, I heard as it were a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. Verse two, he has judged the harlot who was corrupt in the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, representative of the church and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Here we have the right and the biblical response to God's intervening and the corrupting influence of Satan in the world through various means. Always by the work of the Holy Spirit and the going forth of the gospel, ultimately by his physical judgment upon those things, which we see and will continue to unfold in the coming chapters. So now we have a scene change, Right? We've been seeing things that are unfolding on earth. God's justice, judgment, and wrath come to earth. Now we have this glimpse of heaven, a scene change. And we've had little snapshots of heaven over the last several chapters, but now all attention is directed to heaven. After these things, I saw, I heard in heaven, he says. And he heard them saying, hallelujah. Hallelujah is an interesting word. Hallelujah is a word that we say on occasion. I love it when I'm preaching and someone says, hallelujah. Wish you guys would do it more. It's just cool. Get that little Pentecostal thing going. Hallelujah. Amen. Preach it, brother. It's not really our song, but it's fun when someone does that on occasion. Amen. (laughs) There we go. You're a good church. It's an interesting word. We sing it a lot. We'll probably sing it today, I'm assuming, right? We sing that song, Agnus Dei. Agnus is Latin for lamb, Dei, God, lamb of God. That's taken from this chapter, that song. Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. I bet we'll sing it in the second set. Boy, we better, worship leader Mike, where are you? I I set that one up. We better be doing that one now. We sing it a lot and we say it a lot, but very seldom does it actually occur in the Bible. It is in there. It's a good word. We shouldn't stop saying it. It's really only in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, the first time in Psalm 104 and the last time in Psalm 150. And it appears 40 times there. Usually not in your English Bible. It's usually translated for what it means in our English Bibles. Praise the Lord. Hallel, one of the Hebrew words for praise. And then Yah, Hallel, Yah, Hallelujah. Yah being a truncated word for Yahweh one of the names of God. Praise Yahweh. Hallel Yah is what the word means. 
It's never in the New Testament until we get to this chapter. And then it's four times in the first six verses. That tells us something. It's in the middle of the Bible in the books of praise. And it's at the end of the Bible in this great moment of praise. That tells us that what's before us in this text is a really big deal. The word was reserved for this moment when all attention is turned to heaven and Babylon the whore has been judged and dealt with and the lamb is being reunited with his bride. The word is reserved for this moment. We have in the study of scripture something called the law of first mention. The first time that a word or a doctrine is mentioned in Bible kind of sets the tone for what it means. The first time hallelujah is mentioned in the Bible is in Psalm 104, as I said. In verse 35, it says, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. There it is, hallelujah in Hebrew. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. You see how it's the same sort of context the first times it's mentioned in Psalms? God dealing with sin and sinners and wickedness. And so the response even then was, bless the Lord, hallelujah. Now, there are always little Babylons in our life that God is dealing with by his word and his Holy Spirit. Aren't there? Little places and people and instances and devices of seduction and corruption that are looking to enslave us and come against us. Where the Holy Spirit helps us, where we're called to repentance, where we experience deliverance and the right response is hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me once again from Babylon, from the harlot. Chapter 19 is that ultimate sort of deliverance. And so because he's delivering his people from Babylon, the praise that goes up there in verse one is salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That's a direct affront against Babylon. Babylon doesn't deliver. There's no salvation there. There's no true power there. There's no glory there. She was an entity that proposed to have, that dressed herself up to have power and glory and promised in some way to deliver. If you'll just acquire for yourself more, if you'll just grab for yourself something different, if you'll just follow after these things, all subtle seductions to draw us away from allegiance to Jesus Christ. But here we're told salvation, deliverance, and power, and glory belong to who? Our God. Our God. The one who loves us. The one who has saved us. The one to whom we belong. He's the one who delivers and who has all the power and all the glory. Not Babylon, not the whore. They've been exposed as lesser. Counterfeit. Faulty. Babylon has been shown to be merely a cheap perversion of God's nature, power, and glory. God's work, true deliverance, and God's gifts. Verse 2, it says, because his judgments are true and righteous. God's judgments are true and righteous. That's what the book of Revelation is showing us. It's, It's unmasking. It's unveiling some of the evil and some of the evil purposes in the world and showing us that when God judges, he is always right. God does what is right. When God judges, it's according to truth. He doesn't go against reality. There's no spin on it. 
There's no political agenda. There's no, well, maybe that's right for you. Maybe that's right for some people. God is right in his judgments. His judgments always show us what is and what ought to be. That's why, dear brothers and sisters whom I love, we pay careful attention to God's word. All of his declarations are true and just and righteous. They show us what truly is and what ought to be. And as we've said a million times in our study of the book of Revelation, we live in an age of deception where we really need to give ourselves to carefully discerning what is and what ought to be. And we do that through the word of God. We're told there that God judged the harlot because she was corrupting the earth with her immorality. God took vengeance on her. Vengeance, strong word. Vengeance, we often think of it in negative connotations, but when it comes from the Lord, it's right. Vengeance is right. And he took vengeance on her according to his glory. Verse three, and the second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Babylon, the whore's punishment, lasts forever. Her seductions have eternal consequences. Let me just say plainly what the text is getting at. Hell lasts forever. And hell lasts forever because God's glory is unending. And all sin is against God. And if we've sinned against God, then the consequences themselves are unending. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Hell is forever. Babylon's seductions have eternal consequences because sin and rebellion against God, the book of Revelation helps us understand, are immeasurable. Thus, we can only be saved through the cross of Jesus Christ who has redeemed us with his precious blood, the only way by which we can be redeemed. That is why because of the eternal consequences, because of the weight of sin against God. That is why the book of Revelation has been saying to us always, not just last week, it has always been saying to us, come out. Come out. Come out of rebellion against God. Come out of sneaking sin. Come out of those hidden places. Come out of the seductions of the world. Come out of the fog of lies. Come out is a call the book of Revelation. Reveals to us the reality of sin. He said in chapter 18, verse four, come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins. That is a loving, saving call. Come out of her, my people, that you may not participate in her sins. It's a loving call because sin always destroys. Sin always blinds. Sin sin always grinds. We've talked about this a lot never shows you the horrific destructive side on the front end. It always puts on a pretty face. You see, but what helps us to come out is when we see sin's judgment and the promise of something better. What the book of Revelation tells us is that evil, injustice, immorality, idolatry will only ever result in regret a lifetime of them, or even our sordid moments of them. It goes up in smoke. 
And the book of Revelation tells us if, if we don't repent and put our trust in Jesus, then our regret will last forever. Isn't it wonderful to come to Jesus, to be forgiven, to experience his love, to be brought near to the Father, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to move beyond regret? Isn't that a wonderful gift? You know, hell is a place where we will never move beyond regret. An eternity of regret. And we will finally see what's what and who's who. And so we have to have these images of God's judgment sealed in our hearts and in our minds so that when sin tempts us, Anybody here ever tempted? We have to have this picture of Babylon judged and this promise of something better to come in the marriage supper of the Lamb sealed in our hearts and minds so that when sin tempts us, we are reminded of Babylon's smoke that rises up forever and ever. We can look upon again through the lens of Scripture the ashes the piles of regret that smolder for eternity. And that helps us to say in a moment of sobriety, wait a minute, let me turn away from this thing. I have the promise of something better in union with Christ, intimacy with Christ, eternity with Christ. Let me turn away from this thing today and follow Jesus. It helps us to see that her smoke goes up forever and ever. Verse five begins to transition and a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all you, his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great, every person that belongs to God at any stage in life. The call to give him glory and to fear him. You know, there's something that we ought to recapture as God's people is a healthy fear of God. Not the fear of punishment, for Christ has been punished for us. His perfect love casts out that sort of fear. His love demonstrated upon the cross. But the fear of reverence that reveres God and his holiness and his justice and his beauty and his power and his authority and his kingship that is willing to say, because God is God and I am lesser than, I am willing to obey and refrain from this sin. It was the fear of God that kept this party from the fear of Babylon. You see, when we lose the fear of God, then we begin to fear, revere, fall into the seductions of Babylon. When we have a healthy fear of, reverence for, allegiance to God, that delivers us from the fear of Babylon, pursuing after lesser things, false allegiances. And the glorious declaration of heaven here in this text is though it appeared as, as is, though it appeared that the whore and the beast would reign, they do not. Verse six that I'm sure we'll sing later. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Pause right there for a minute. Let me just remind you. Worship's going to be loud in heaven. I know some of our more seasoned saints 
sometimes say that worship here, reality is loud. Can I just say on the back end, we're trying to prepare you for heaven? I'm just kidding. But it's going to be loud. Nobody's singing off key, I bet. There'll be heavenly tuning, heavenly band. But it's going to be loud like peals of thunder, sounds of water. It's loud. It's glorious. Which, all joking aside, that should make us think about our worship sometimes, which is often reserved, quiet, non-generous in its expression. I understand personalities and types, and I, I, I get that. But when there's the revealing of what's what and who's who, what is and what ought to be, man, it gets loud. It just gets loud. It's going to get loud one day. And what they're saying is, though it seemed as though the whore and the beast would rule, they do not. The last part of verse 6, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He reigns. There's loss and there's earthquakes and there's cancer and there's failures and there's oppression and there's brokenness and there's all these things, but there's coming a day where we will all together say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, for the Lord God Almighty, he reigns. Now that is always true. It will one day become manifestly true in the whole world. Ah, there we go. There we go, church. But it's true right now. Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. It is true right now. He's our Lord. He reigns in our hearts. He's the head of the church. He reigns in our gathering. He's a king of the world. He reigns in our going. He reigns in our suffering. He reigns in our rejoicing. He reigns. Man, what a wonderful privilege it is in life to realize that God is ruling and reigning over your life, over our difficulties and our joys, our dreams, our sorrows, our hopes and our disappointments. God is present, ruling and reigning in, sovereign over all of them. And now what we see is that reminder of our betrothal to Jesus that is one of the defining factors in our forsaking of sin. You know, in our culture, you give the engagement ring, right? And you give the girl the engagement ring and it means, dude, she's off the market. She's off the market. Don't be a sleazebag. Don't even talk to her. And hopefully she's not even talking to you. She's off the market. She's betrothed. She turns away from other suitors, other options, and the man does as well. That's what betrothal does for us. Betrothal joyfully saves us from playing the whore with Babylon. So that we can simply say sometimes by faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't need to do that. I belong to Jesus. I don't need to form my identity on that. I'm the beloved bride. I'm betrothed. I don't need to pursue after that. I'm promised. I don't have to seek fulfillment in that. I'm owned and I'm loved. Our betrothal joyfully saves us from playing the harlot with Babylon when we think truly and really upon it. Verse seven. Let us rejoice and be glad. Listen to that, church. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You know, the wonderful news of this text is that we, the church, God's people, are not going to go the way of Natasha. Natasha was seduced in the 11th hour. In a moment of weakness, she threw it all away. That's not the destiny for the church. The destiny is right here. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. The bridegroom is coming. The bride makes herself ready. This is our call. This is our identity. This is our desire. This is our destiny. We don't have to be Natasha's. We are betrothed. We can, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word, be faithful to the bridegroom who is coming. We have been called out of Babylon, away from the whore, and brought to the Lamb, the glorious bridegroom. And so the posture of the church is an obedient looking forward to this day. I'm betrothed. I'm looking forward to the day. Turn to Titus if you want, or I'll just read it for you if you don't. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says this about this concept, starting in verse 11. The grace of God has appeared. You there yet? You still going? Titus? All the T's are together in the New Testament. So if you find Timmy, you're close to Titus. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Look how clear and how good that truth is. Let's read verse 12 again. His salvation has come, instructing us, okay, we've been told by God to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now look at the stance. Look at why we do this. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Because we are betrothed, because the bridegroom is coming, because we belong to him and there is coming the day of ultimate intimacy and union, we refrain from the stuff of Babylon. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior Christ Jesus. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds. Back to Revelation 19. We look forward to this day of the marriage ceremony, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it affects it the way, it affects the way that we live now. We don't live for the stuff of Babylon, readily identified, more and more clear to us as we immerse ourselves in truth. We don't live for it. We don't live according to it. We live for the lamb. Verse eight, and it was given to her, back in Revelation 19, it was given to her, the bride, us, the church, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, us. Notice what it says. 
It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. This heavenly garb that we're wearing, fine linen, bright and clean, what it's emblematic of is purity. This sort of symbolism is why brides generally wear white on the wedding day. It's the picture of purity. And notice, it's given to us. That's a divine passive in the Greek language. It was given to us by God. This righteousness in which we are clothed before him as a gift from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There are two ways in which God gives us righteousness. He gives us positional righteousness through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. His blood views us as a pure, spotless bride, holy, without wrinkle, fault, blemish, or blame. Someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he gives us, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying work of his word, practical righteousness. Drawing us into godly living, enabling us to live differently, transforming us. We are all, by the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, being transformed into the image of Christ, looking more and more like Jesus by the work of the Spirit. He gives us positional holiness by which we stand in front of him and practical holiness by which we live for him. Both of them are gifts from God. And when we get to heaven, that gift will be so evident There we are, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I should have wore white today. White and clean, white and clean. Because we are the church, the bride of Christ. Now this idea of marriage there gets to this, intimacy and union. That's the idea of it, intimacy and union. Marriage on earth is meant to be a picture of the relationship between God and his people. And in the best case, it is intimacy and and union. It is belonging. And this idea of us being the bride of Christ is consonant with the way that God has dealt with his people always. He called Israel his wife. They're the wife of Yahweh. Look at Isaiah here. Fear not. This is God speaking to Israel. Listen how beautiful this passage is. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. That's just God saying, listen, Israel, I know you've been unfaithful. I know you've played the whore. I know you've acted like a harlot. I know you've prostituted yourself to false gods, but I'm calling you to myself. Your maker is your husband. You belong to your redeemer. He's always calling his people, church included now, to intimacy, to belonging, to that love thing. So the church is called, in continuation of that, the bride of Christ. Now, we see here in scripture, you guys still with me? Okay, don't be distracted by people getting up and going, potty, stay with me. 
we see here in Scripture some parallelism between the Jewish wedding customs, right, and our salvation experience. Jewish wedding customs were pretty involved, much more so than our day. They involved a betrothal, a bride price, the contract, the waiting, the ceremony, and the feast. The betrothal. This was when two parties, sometimes the dads involved in that culture, got together and said, yes, her and him, that's happening. And the betrothal was, it was a sealing thing. Right? It was like the engagement ring, but it was even more powerful. It was an act of divorce to break it, the betrothal. They were betrothed to one another. They were promised to one another. This is what God has done with us through Christ. Look at Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Look at that betrothal language, chose and love. The Father chose us because of love to be with him through Christ. We are betrothed. We're the bride of Christ. We're chosen. It's not a marriage of convenience. It's not a marriage of accident. It is one of choosing and of love. You are chosen by God to know him in love through Christ. You are betrothed. After the betrothal came the bride price. This was a fun time now as a father of a daughter. I'm looking forward to enacting this sort of bit of Judaism in my life. This is when the father said, oh yeah, you want to marry my daughter? This is how much it will cost you. That's awesome, right? Because you know, dad, like how much is your little girl worth? It's like a lot of money guaranteed. It's a lot of stuff. The bride price was negotiated and determined between the two fathers and the father of the bride saying, yeah, dude, she's, she's a good one, little Fifi. This is what it's gonna cost you. A lot. Look at the bride price for us. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What was the price of our betrothal? For us to come to God in relationship, it was nothing less than the blood of Jesus. Greater than gold and silver, which are perishable. The ultimate price paid for you, the bride. How much more could God say he loves you? And what other way could God express his love for you than paying that price for you through his son? After the bride price was negotiated, then came the contract. The two parties would sign a contract saying, this is done deal. And now it was sealed. They had the contract. It was sealed. We have a contract. Look at this. For we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, speaking of this body, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Right? Longing for eternity. Verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as a pledge. 
Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Right? So the the ceremony hasn't taken place yet, but we've been betrothed. The bride price has been negotiated and paid, and now there's a contract, the Spirit as a pledge. God's Spirit in us is a pledge, a sign, a seal, the Scripture says, that we belong to God. Greater than the power of the harlot, greater than the power of the beast or the dragon, is the person of the Holy Spirit in you, identifying you as belonging to God. The contract is sealed. Now we are simply in that phase of waiting. After the contract was signed, both parties would wait to be married until they were ready. And males often uh, married at a later age and girls in that culture were younger, so sometimes there was a waiting. But also the male would go back to his father's house and build on an addition where he would bring the bride and they would live. Everyone went to daddy's house. Isn't that nice? Look at what scripture says. Look what Jesus says, picking up on this imagery. Jesus speaking says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You see, we are already betrothed. The bride price has already been paid by the blood of Christ. The contract is sealed with the person of the Holy Spirit. And now we are waiting for the groom to come and get us. Where is he? Preparing a place for us in heaven. And finally, the night that every bride would wait for was when the groom came for her. The ceremony and the feast is what we see in the book of Revelation. Again, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Then he said to me in verse nine, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. That's our glorious future. That is a day when there's no more separation, the fullness of intimacy experienced with God in Christ. And blessed are those who are invited. Who's invited? You're invited. Blessed are those who are invited. The call to God's people in front of Babylon was come out. The call now is come in. Come out of her. Come into what you were created for, what you're meant for. Come into intimacy with Jesus Christ. That is our ultimate reality. That is also our present possibility. God is always saying to us by his word and spirit, no, come out of Babylon and come in to intimacy with Jesus Christ. Are you listening to the call? Come out of Babylon, come into intimacy with Jesus Christ. Are you living your life that way? Are there tangible ways in which you are coming out of Babylon, ever increasingly so, and going into ever increasingly so the person of Christ? Can you mark it? Can you see it on your calendar? Can you see it in your finances? Can you see it in your relationships? Can you see it in your priorities? It ought to be tangible and real in our lives. This is not fairy tale stuff. This day's really coming and we live in light of it. Come out of the whore and come into the lamb. That's the Christian life. 
These are the true words of God, it says. Again, this quote. We are the Natasha one. Next. We are like Natasha, easily dissuaded from what is best for us. And we need to be convinced. That is how the book of Revelation is serving us right now. Convincing us that the one who is coming for us is worth the wait. Babylon, her smoke rises up forever and ever. All that the world has to offer will pass away. So that we won't give in to the seducers who would ruin our lives. This is God's word. May we have grace to live according to it. Thank you, Lord, for this gracious, beautiful call to come in, to be with you, to live for you, to follow after you. Thank you that we are your bride. Lord, just just help us by the Spirit to live like this daily. Lord, I'm aware in my own life of all my little unfaithfulnesses, my unfaithful moments, my wandering, my turning to other things and lesser things. We would ask that you'd help us in those moments by leading us into the truth that we are yours and that we're moving toward this wonderful day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the most glorious celebration the world will ever know. Thank you for this imperishable inheritance we have laid up in heaven for us. Help us to rejoice in it now. Help us to live according to it. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.